Hello and welcome to At Home with Ashley G. I'm Ashley Gronwald, a real estate agent, mother of three, living in Raleigh, North Carolina with my husband, Jed. I hope you'll join me as we discuss all things that begin in the home, such as family, marriage, faith, parenting, organizing, and plus a sprinkle of real estate. I look forward to building a community with you as we navigate the joys of owning a home and making it our safe haven for our family, because home is where it all begins. Hi everyone, it's Ashley Gronwald with Hunter Row Real Estate, and I have Sharon Hottie Miller joining me today, and she is both a pastor and an author, and the way I got connected to her um, was through the Summit Church. We both attended there, and I remember coming to a women's conference where you spoke, and that was so encouraging to me, and then to see you go on and write some books, which I read and loved, and so I thought I'd go out on a limb and just see if you'd be willing to chat with me just a little bit about this book that you wrote recently which is nice. And I've loved it, loved reading it and wanted to hear just from your perspective after writing it, kind of your heart behind it. So tell us a little bit more about you. And then I've got lots of questions and our time will go fast. So I want to jump in quickly. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fun to be here because you're right. Like we've probably known each other for over 10 years, right? probably. So it was really fun when I got your email just to like reconnect with you. But yeah, like since I was at the summit, that's how we knew each other since then. And uh, my husband and I had moved away briefly. We moved up to Chicago. We both got our PhDs there. Then we moved back and uh, close to three years ago now, we planted a church in South Durham. And so we've spent like half the life of our church in a pandemic, um, which I'm really grateful that God didn't let us know that was going to happen. And I'm the, he's the lead pastor. I have a teaching pastor role. And then I am also an author. That's actually right now I'm in like a cabin. Um, if it's like echoey, uh, I'm in a cabin in the mountains working on my third book, actually. Um, I kind of made it work so I could come get away. So that's, that's where I am behind this giant like stone fireplace behind me. And I am wearing my pajamas essentially. <laughs> awesome. I love it. The life of an author. And yeah. Right. <laughs> Very cool. Well, let's jump in. So this book you wrote, Nice, and I think it's going to, so many people listening are going to relate from the people um, in my sphere of influence. So I hope that this is really encouraging to them, but also challenging because your message is maybe one that we haven't heard that often. And so it's kind of kind of countercultural or counterintuitive of being a Christian and this idea of we think we're supposed to be nice. And you're ultimately calling us to see what scripture says, which is more than being nice. And so you share that niceness has been an idol in your life because you have served it tirelessly. I mean, I love that you're so vulnerable to share that. Um, and it's actually served you well in return. You mm -hmm. even admit that it's done good things for you or served you, let's say, but why would you say God has not called us to be nice? And that's kind of the premise of the whole book. Yeah. So, um, basically the, the premise or, or where where I got the idea for the book was with my first book, actually, in the first chapter, I think it was in my first book, which was called Free of Me, Why Life is Better When It's Not About You. I had just this paragraph that was basically like I, I did not expect to go any deeper with it, but I was reflecting on my childhood and how I was raised in a Christian home, wonderful Christian family. And I was a nice Christian girl. And I, I noticed growing up, like when I, in hindsight, I could look back and if you had asked me like, why, why are you a rule follower? Like, why are you high achiever? Why are you so obedient? You know, all those things. And I would have said, 
because I'm a Christian. But in hindsight, I could see that the reality was a little more complicated than that. And part of the reason I was a nice Christian girl is that it got me things. And it, it won me approval. You know, I got the affirmation from all the adults in my life. And so I just had this little paragraph where I was reflecting on that and, and noticing that I, I was nice because of Jesus, but I was also nice because of the rewards. So I wrote that and you know, published the book, didn't expect to return to it. But then I kept going back to it. And it sort of was haunting me a little bit. And the reason why is I realized that I had not left that tendency behind me in childhood, but I'd carried it into adulthood. And specifically, I was carrying it into ministry. And that became apparent to me when I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to write about topics that were kind of outside the box of what Christian women would tend to write about. And specifically, I'd, I'd felt called to write a blog post, this was years ago now, about racism. And this is not like, should not be controversial, like Jesus is not unclear. But I was really nervous. I was like, people aren't going to like this. They're going to be mad at me. They're going to accuse me of being political. They're going to say I'm distracting from the gospel. And when I realized that I was hesitating to speak about something that scripture was not unclear about, that is when I realized, okay, this is still an idol. And I'm serving it because it's really beneficial for me. And so that's when I realized I need to go deeper into this. That's so good. And I hope that people who are listening that maybe would kind of put themselves under that heading of being a nice girl or a rule mm -hmm. follower or willing to just do what others would want them to do would find encouragement that that's not necessarily what is best for other people, even best for ourselves, and so how it can really turn into an idol. So mm -hmm. I'm so thankful that you share about that. So the next thing you say that caught my attention was niceness can keep the peace with and win friends. It can gain influence and can serve our reputations. Well, those are all really attractive things. Keep the peace, win friends, gain influence, and then serve our reputations. But why does it take all the power and freedom from our lives? Cause that's what you kind of share that it, it takes away power. It takes away freedom. So mm -hmm. yeah. Well, because what you're ultimately doing is you're not serving Christ. You're serving an image. And, you know, scripture says that you cannot serve two masters and, you know, only one, you know, Christ is the one that actually sets us free. And so the more that you're, you're serving the image, even if it's good image, that's the thing is, is being a good Christian is a really good, good image. And there's a lot about the image of Christianity that, that is still really nice. Like it's like you're nice to people and you do good things in the world. But when you are enslaved to that image, instead of actually serving Christ, eventually you're going to have to choose. And, and that's that's what happened is for me is, is I realized I was kind of at this like fork in the road where God was kind of saying, are you going to serve the image or actually, you know, Christ? And when you start serving the image, you you start to bear all these really bad fruit. And, and that's what a good portion of the book is about, is that nice Christianity looks so much like the real thing that the only way you can tell the difference is the fruit. And the bad fruit of nice Christianity is inauthenticity. You know, when you're when you're serving this image instead of Christ, you're going to start to become a hypocrite. Um, another bad fruit is cowardice, how, you know, I was... 
I was tempted not to speak obediently because of what people would think. And so it, it takes all the, the power of, you know, being bold and, and being prophetic um, because that nice Christian image will not allow you to do those things. Gosh, that's so good and so hard and convicting at the same time, because I mean, I think especially now when we're in such a, you know, a heated environment politically and just all the issues that we see even amongst Christians, that it would be easy to not be bold for what we know is true because we're afraid of what people will think or say or that our reputation will be on the line or our businesses or whatever it is that what we would, what what's the cost? And Jesus talks mm-hmm. about that so much. Like, what's the cost to follow me? And if there isn't a cost, you kind of have to wonder what is it you're actually following? Exactly. So helpful. So you claim that niceness can look a lot like following Jesus and you just said that as well, but why isn't it? And we talked about the fruit. Um, that's mm-hmm. how you tell the difference between maybe what appears to be Christianity, but then you, it's the fruit. And then I would even elaborate to say, I think it's, we have to be so cautious not to judge too, because that's what I'm going to fall into the judgment camp really quick of mm-hmm. trying to judge who is authentic and who isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God doesn't call us to that. He's, he's right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, ironically, one of the bad fruits of niceness is self-righteousness because you, you're you nice because it gets you things, but then you kind of judge other people. Well, this is so easy. Like, why aren't you doing it? And the reality is obedience is hard. <laughs> And courage is painful. And when you begin to walk those out, it's actually very, very humbling. Like it has the, it has the effect of, you know, sanctifying you. Uh, whereas niceness, and, and that was another, when I could look back on me as a nice Christian girl, I was super judgmental. <laughs> I was so self-righteous. It was terrible. Yeah. So I think that's actually just like a natural benefit is like the sanctifying work of following Jesus for real. That's awesome. So another thought, the story of being nice is your story and you shared that. What kind of prompted you to say, I'm going to stand against this. I'm not going to continue down this path. You talk about like this fork in the road, how to make a choice. Am I going to just build a reputation or am I going to actually serve Jesus and let his name be known? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, some people mm. can have this thought and never write a book about it, but yeah, you said huh. you put it in your first, you know, the first book yeah. after about it, and then you had to revisit and write kind of a whole book about it. Mm-hmm. Is there, was there anything specific that you said, I'm, I I have to stand against this now? Yeah, it, that's yeah. a really great question, Ashley. And no one has asked me that specific question. I really like that question. And the answer to, I, I think it was probably a number of things, but one answer to that that I've, I don't even know. No, I do talk about this in in the book about being prophetic. But I'd I'd written this or uh, read this book by an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann, and he has a book called The Creative Word. And in this book, he talks about how uh, we should teach in the different ways that Scripture teaches. And so he says, like in um, the Pentateuch, like the first five books of the Bible, you have the Law, which is very like propositional. It's like commands. It's instruction. 
actions. Like, and he's like, there's definitely, you know, a place for this. Uh, that's a huge part of, of teaching. It's just like propositional truth. But then he says, we also have the prophets. And what the prophets do is they disrupt and they correct. They don't undermine the law, but they kind of prune away. Like, like if, if this is the law and you have all these like weeds that have like grown up around it, the prophets come in with like the pruning shears and they, they pull it all away. And he was saying how it's really, really important for teachers in the church to model these different types. And there's other types of, of teaching. Like we have incarnational, which is Jesus becoming human, being a person, embodying the message. Um, we have storytelling, like Jesus told stories. There's all these different types of teaching. But that was a really huge uh, wake up call for me that you have so much of the Old Testament is the prophets. I mean, the bulk of the Old Testament is the prophets and they're doing this work and how important that is as a teacher. And so for me, it was it was a, a really huge wake up call that if I'm not doing this prophetic work, then I'm not reflecting the full counsel of God's word. And so that that was actually, that book was one of the, the big turning points. And, and that's not to say that I've, I've written a lot since then about what this means. And I have a section in the book about that doesn't mean be a jerk. It doesn't mean, you know, just because you're being bold that what you're saying is true. Like there's, there's a lot of qualifications for that. But I mean, long story short, I realized I was not doing that. And I needed to get in step with God's word. That's amazing. And I feel like it can be so maybe humbling at this point in, you know, the platform that God's allowed you to have to say, hey, this, I I need this for myself too. It's not just me preaching from a place of I've got this all together. It's like, I'm on a journey of allowing God to prune me in this area that is a temptation to go to what feels easier, which is just to be nice mm -hmm. versus, um, having the whole counsel of God, like, con you know, coming out of you in every way. Yeah. So why do you think we so desperately desire to be liked? That's kind of a, a big question. And why do you think God has called us to more than just being liked? Yeah, I think the question of being liked is a lot of it comes down to belonging, like you, you want to be accepted. And that is a deep human need, which is why the promise of belonging in Christ is so necessary and important. But I, I think honestly, that is really what it comes down to is you don't want to be rejected and, or, or you don't want to have a hard conversation. You don't want to be uncomfortable. I, th I think about, you know, one example I give is um, maybe you have a friend who you've noticed their drinking has gotten out of control, or maybe you have a coworker who is married and has become sort of flirtatious with another married coworker. And in those, those moments, you know, you can be nice and say nothing and it will not affect you at all. But if you, you know, say what is true and loving, honestly, uh, you risk rejection and you risk having a really uncomfortable conversation. You risk brokenness in that relationship. And so I, I think that's what is at stake. It's, it's not, it's not small, you know, it's, it's, I think we need to have grace for ourselves that it's not just us being vain or superficial. I mean, some of these are really painful realities that, that we're facing. It makes me think of, which is kind of funny. This is my pre-Christian days, but in school, I was very studious and wanted to get the best grades ever. And I remember um, someone, a popular kid wanting to kind of probably maybe cheat or definitely benefit from my 
studying. And I remember looking at him saying, someday you'll thank me, but I'm not going to let you do this. And mm-hmm. I think he thought, you're crazy. And I don't know what you're talking about. But in mm-hmm. that moment, I was just like, this is not going to get me brownie points with the popular kids at all. And he might even shame me for it in front mm-hmm. of people. But yeah, it was like, I'm not going to, to do what's not right for mm-hmm. the benefit of you or even my reputation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of that. Well, and those smaller moments of courage and doing the right thing are really important because, you know, we look back on like heroes throughout history who stood up, you know, even like Esther and how at the key moment, you know, for such a time as this, they had the courage to stand up and say the right thing. And we think if I was there, I I want to have done that. Like, I hope I would have done that. But the reality is, if courage is a muscle that you have to weight train, and if you are not practicing smaller acts of, of courage and truth telling now, then when that moment comes, you're probably not going to do it. You you haven't built up the strength or the stamina for it. And so I think even just those little, little moments are really important as well. And I, I, I think like you said, it's like an innate desire that God's given us to be um, a part of something, to be known, to be loved. And he offers that to us, but we often go seeking it from other places Mm-hmm. And and just keeping that in check of like remembering that there is a loving father who t- does accept us, does love us and fight that temptation to be liked in a way that's not genuine. It's not deep. It's not authentic. They don't know us. We're hiding behind a mask or a, a protective wall. And I'm, I'm speaking to myself when I'm saying this, because these are all things that I can definitely do. So just remembering mm-hmm. that desire is a good desire. Just make sure we're, we're not putting it in the hands of the wrong people for the wrong reasons. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Is- yeah. And there's honestly, as, as hard as it is in those moments, like as painful as it can be, like courage is very hard, mm-hmm. but on the other side of it, there is a piece that you cannot access through cowardice or lukewarm discipleship. And so to trust that that is also waiting for us as well. So good. Such encouraging thoughts to help us persevere through it. So what are the most common forms of nice Christianity and how do they manifest in our lives? Do you have some examples that you can help us maybe put, maybe people who haven't read the book to say, oh, that's what you're talking about that maybe can pinpoint it in their own lives or others to say, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah, that's a good question. And it, it can manifest in, you know, so many different ways. I think, especially in the South, uh, where cultural Christianity is, is the air we breathe. You know, everyone knows how to look like a Christian. Like I, I say that we are very good at looking good. And I'm someone who, because of, you know, I've gotten my master of divinity and I've been in ministry for a long time. Like I could go a long time without actively growing in my faith and still look like I'm doing great. And I can give you all the right answers and I can, you know, say all the right things. And the the metaphor I use in the book is that of like a Christmas tree. We had this this one year where we got a Christmas tree that was basically a dud and we put it up and it was it was beautiful. I covered it in lights, ornaments, all that. It was it was gorgeous for like two weeks. And then uh, started to notice it was getting really dry. It was really prickly. You know, the kids would bump up to it and 
start crying because it was like so dry. And then one day I come out into our living room and I can smell it, but not in the good way. You know how Christmas trees, they smell really good. This smelled like mildew, it, like our tree had died and it still looked really great. And I think that that is, if I could, you know, encapsulate cultural Christianity in a nutshell, that is it. Like we, we know how to look like we were flourishing, but underneath, because we're cut off from the root system, just like a Christmas tree, we are slowly withering underneath. And so I, I think that is probably the, the most common is having that appearance of, of being a good Christian when in reality, you're just a really good faker. <laughs> yeah. And I think what comes to mind with that is just, you know, we've seen some of these pastors that have led what we think are these very yeah. awesome lives of purity mm -hmm. and holiness and then see them fall on their faces and yeah. temptation and sin and, and just realizing like, one, we shouldn't be putting people up on pedestals because it, it's not where God calls us to do with people. But again, like, I think some solutions to this could be like, having community where it's authentic and there's people that are asking you the hard questions and not letting your I'm fine answer be the answer. They're like, no, what's really going on? How yeah. is your marriage? What's going yeah. on for you as a mom, as a wife and, and forcing you to be accountable to what's happening spiritually, emotionally, rather than just letting you get off with, I'm fine. I'm doing great. Don't we look all great, even though we don't. And I, I think about it so much with the the pictures on Facebook and Instagram, it's like, and I just have to laugh when you think about all it takes to get a good family picture and all the stressful comments and, you know, wrangling your kids to get a pretty nice family photo, but the work that it went in to get everybody to look like mm -hmm. they were happy when yeah. they were in that moment, they weren't at all. And so just fighting that, that tendency to think that people want your fakeness. And mm -hmm. I think, I mean, that pushes people away more than pulls them in. If they feel right. like you're, you're too perfect to um, engage in relationship with, they're not going to. So if you can show them, Hey, I struggle too. Hey, I'm not perfect. Hey, we had a, a you know, a fight this morning. We're still working through it this afternoon. Yeah, That draws people in to have authentic community, not the picture perfect Instagram post that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's better for your soul. I mean, I would even say I would take it a step further, even, you know, in addition to having community is practicing the spiritual discipline of confession and having people in your life that know everything, you know, that they're the safe people. And this is part of what Alcoholics Anonymous is like founded on is you have a group of people and then you also have a sponsor where you can go and you can say the ugliest, darkest parts of your week and know that you're going to be accepted and loved. And we have that in, in Christ. <laughs> like he already knows he's, he's not surprised, but you need people who are also going to mirror that unconditional love that we have in Christ to you, like in person, like a face that you can look at. And so finding those people that you can go and, and confess to and, and be, I mean, confession sounds really scary, but who are the people that you can just tell them your junk? You know, that's, that's who we need. And, and so you've kind of answered this question, like, how do we stop being nice, especially when it's culturally expected? Um, mm -hmm. and the norm is just, we have these niceties about the way we interact with people. I mean, one of them is you're saying, you know, get into community, practice mm -hmm. confession, but what does it look like to start practicing true kindness and mm -hmm. honesty and courage and joy that isn't just a mask of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's been one of the questions I often get is, you know, everyone's so mean. Like, why write a book? <laughs> why write like don't we need more nice people? You know, um, it, it seems like we need more niceness, you know, on social media. And my response to that is what we need is more kindness. And the difference between the two, uh, there's one author that I'm trying to remember, I think the name of his book was Love Kindness. I think his name's Barry Corey. I think that's right. And he draws this distinction between niceness and kindness. And he he talks about niceness as having soft edges and a soft core. And then he contrasts that with harshness, which has hard edges and a hard core. And then he says kindness is sort of a mix of the two where it has those soft edges. You know, you're gentle, you're patient, you're, you're loving, all of those things. But it has a firm center. You know, it has conviction. It, it, it doesn't collapse as soon as it's challenged. And so that was really helpful for me in terms of thinking, like, what's the difference? But another really great way to test yourself and to say, am I doing this because I'm being nice or I'm being kind is how you respond when you are nice to somebody and they don't reciprocate. So, you know, you're friendly to the checkout person or your neighbor or your waiter and waitress. And in response, they're, they're mean, they're sarcastic. They, you know, have like a cutting mark or, you know, they roll their eyes, whatever. In that moment, do you gasp, you know, and kind of clutch your pearls and say, I, like, I didn't deserve that. I was so nice to them. You know, why would they, why would they respond that way? Um, or, do you just go on your merry day because being a disciple of Christ just means being kind in order to imitate him, <laughs> not because of what it will get you. And, and that really is the difference is, is niceness is putting out niceness into the world so that it comes back to you. Mm -hmm. And kindness is just being obedient. And that that has been really convicting to me. <laughs> I'm being yes. When it sounds like you're saying, is it self-serving or is yeah. it serving the Lord? Because if it's self-serving, yes, I'm exactly. doing it. Because if I'm nice to my waitress, maybe she'll send me a, an extra dessert or get my food mm -hmm. out faster. Yeah. Like self-serving mm -hmm. versus yeah. kindness of like, how are you doing? Can we, we're going to get ready to pray over our meal. Can we pray for you? And if they're like, no, and I think it's really rude of you to ask me that, then you're not, it doesn't change yeah. that. Yeah. that desire to be kind you, and you'll still yeah. pray for them without, you know, being, a yeah. instead of being like, what's their problem, you yeah, know? Exactly. So as we wrap up, I have one more question for you and just curious, where do you still struggle to fight this? You've admitted a couple of times to this, like this is still a work in progress. You mm -hmm. still struggle. You're still convicted here. Yeah. This isn't a message of I've got this together and now you guys mm -hmm. figure it out. It's like, I'm on this journey with you and I got that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but how do you, you know, fight this temptation to be nice rather than authentic now? And where do you still mm -hmm. see yourself struggling through it? I mean, a very low stakes example of this was this was probably like six months ago, actually. So the place where I take my kids to get their hair cut, there's this one woman that every time she's cut my middle son's hair, it has been messed up. There's been something I don't know like what the deal is, but it's, it always is uneven. And so I will try and work it so that if she's there, that she's not cutting my middle son's hair. Like she can't even do my older son's. I don't know like what the issue is, 
But recently, it's somehow, I think I guessed wrongly, like when I assigned uh, someone to my other kid, I like, guess, I just miscalculated. And so then my middle son ended up with this woman. And I was like, oh, man, she's going to give him a bad haircut. And in that moment, I should have said, excuse me, is there somebody else that can cut his hair because she's always done a bad job? <laughs> but instead, I was a chicken. And I was like, well, he's six. It'll grow back. It'll be fine. And so, and I was sitting there as he was getting my haircut. I was like, I wrote this entire book and here I am like not even living it, you know? <laughs> yes. So that's like a low stakes, but I mean, also just in uh, leading a church with my husband, you know, we have to have hard conversations and I am, I don't know if you know, like an Enneagram at all, but I'm an Enneagram seven. And so I don't like hard conversations. I don't like discomfort or pain. And so I really hate those conversations. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you're Enneagram one when you were saying you're the rule keeper and wanted to be good and yeah. hearing Well, one. it's funny. Every So with my first book, everyone thought I was an Enneagram three. Okay. And with this one, I think people thought I was an Enneagram one because of that. So, yeah. but I think like sevens go to one in, un in unhealth. So, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you that at the beginning. And then I was like, well, maybe you're not into it because it's like you are, or you aren't. But. I'm not like an expert. I, like that, I pretty much just said everything I know. You know. So. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, I am a three and I have this like desire in the back of my mind saying, write a book, write a book because threes are achievers and they want to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not a writer. Like I don't write, but I'm like thinking that's something I would want to do, but maybe I should put that aside. I'm not, I'm not certain. But the one thing I was going to, wrap up with um when you were just talking about the haircut story because i i think that jed my husband which i think you probably know from mm -hmm. the yeah um, he i would say he does a better job of this and it is really uncomfortable for me like he's willing to have that hard conversation and i will not have it but then he's like but then you'll slander them behind their back to me like and i'm like well i can do that with my husband right and he's like no you can't yeah you can't what a good husband i know i mean and he's like he's like say what you're feeling to them. Now it doesn't mean you have to do it in a cutting way, but yeah. you feel it and you're thinking it and yeah. there's a way to say it that can be received well mm -hmm. for them to at least know what you're thinking versus pretending like you're okay with it and then coming home and just being so angry. Mm -hmm. So I feel like he challenges me in that because it's so uncomfortable and he's an eight. He's the challenger. So he's gonna say, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> very comfortable in those places. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like in those times where I'm just going like, to let it go, let's let it go, let's let it go. And he's like, no, let's address it. And what's beautiful about it is that he can move on and the re relationship is not hindered. Whereas mine actually is because I move away because now I'm mad and I haven't dealt with it. And he's like, just deal with it. And then your friendship can yeah. continue. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you aren't willing to talk to them, then you just need to take it to Jesus. Like you need to hash it out with God. I mean, that's so much of what the Psalms are. Yeah. Is, is saying like, take it to God. Cause maybe you don't need to say <laughs> some right. of those things out loud. Right. True. True. Let him kind of like winnow out some of those thoughts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Love covers a multitude of sin. Like yeah. choose uh -huh. your battles, all those things. Yep. Well, thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you? How can they follow you? Know about what you're doing? This, this new book that's being released, share with us how we can 
know about. Yeah, the, the place I'm most active on right now is just Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me at Sharon H. Miller. Um, I have a website, but I have not been. That's been one of the things in the season I've had to kind of like let go and it's there, but it's not getting updated actively. Like Instagram is where I'm most active. Okay. And then any, um, can you share anything about the book? Like when it would be released, anything or is it all? Uh, it will be released about a, a next August, like August, 2022. So oh. it's like a ways off and it is about control. Wow. That's going to be awesome. Okay. I've been very convicted writing it. So that's wow. a good sign. That's exciting. Well, thank you for your time today. It was so nice reconnecting with you. Yeah. And hope to get your new book when it comes out. Um, and thanks again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was good to see you, Ashley. All right. You too. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me today. And if you connected with something that was said, I hope you will share this with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for sharing this journey with me at home where it all begins.